I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. We just watched stage four of the 2020 Tour de France, the first stage to have some genuine GC action or some actual meaningful things happen. Maybe not big time gaps, but the first time I think in this year's Tour de France where you can really look at what happened and say that, that is indicative of things to come for the GC riders in this year's Tour de France. We previewed it a little bit yesterday, but the stage, which was 160 kilometres long, culminated in a Category 1 climb to Ostrière Merlet, about 10.4 kilometres long, average gradient of 6%, some steeper sections, but nothing, no really steep sections. Drafting was important for the entirety of the climb. The favourites for the day were Julien Alaphilippe, the man that was wearing the yellow jersey, um, but he was only in the lead by about seven to ten or seventeen seconds. Second favourite was actually Adam Yates, the Michelin Scott rider. Third favourite, I think, was Primoz Roglic, and then it was Bernal, Dumoulin, Pogacar, etc. But really, it was Alaphilippe who was the heavy favourite based on his performance on stage two. And I'll throw to you, Benji, now. What happened almost the second after they left the neutral zone? Basically, when you have mountain stage and ground tours, you sometimes expect that stages like these open up with a bang. You've got a long challenge for the breakaway. But once again today, just like the days before, we've got yesterday as well, the same case. No one really went for it except for the first guys that went for it. So we basically directly had a breakaway. That included VMOs from Ajizé, Nylons and Polit from Israel and Startup Nation, Bugaro for Total Direct Energy, Benoit for Sunweb, and Pache for BNB Vital Concept. Now, that breakaway was basically already greenlit the second they went. There was a small opportunity from some riders to try and bridge the gap, but it basically stopped directly when they saw that Tony Martin was going behind them the moment they attacked. So the breakaway was gone, and they just pretty much had the whole day of pedaling in front of the peloton. And during that stage, we also had a proper K1 point in the middle. That was a Col de Festre, and that one gave the most points out of the ones that are in the stage. In the end, Quentin Pacher took the most K1 points today. He's nowhere near Benoit Cosnefar when it comes to his points. Cosnefar is on 21 in the K1 classification. Pacher is now on 6. Outside of him, some changes from the riders that got second and such, but nowhere near Cosnefar. So no notable change in the K1 standings. When it comes to the green classification, we had some changes. We had Sam Bennett actually win the intermediate sprint, and Peter Sagan did not actually get too many points there, and this resulted in the fact that they are now equal in the green jersey classification on 83 points. After that intermediate sprint, we eventually just came down to the fact that the breakaway was not going to make it, as in the peloton, there was genuinely pacing happening, mainly from the Koenig at the start, because... There was one man at the head of the peloton pacing the whole day for 145 kilometers in total. El Tractor, Tim de Klerk, what a legend, man, honestly. A whole day at the front of the peloton, keep on pacing, and he kept that breakaway under control himself. What a day for him. 
Then additionally, we also had the fact that once we got close to the last climb, we had a crash in the breakaway. Tejmanot slipped up in a curve in the descent, and he didn't actually have too much when it comes to injuries or anything. It looked a bit sketchy when it comes to the crash because he went over the rails at the side of the road, but he came out pretty much unheard as we know of right now. We might hear some injuries afterwards, but not too big of a deal. Nonetheless, that's basically it when it comes to the breakaway because they were pretty much getting caught near the end climb. What happened there? Nealens, the Israel Startup Nation rider, he was the last rider to be mopped up by, I think, Kaspar Askren, who was pacing on the front then for quick step. It was a gap of 90 seconds with 15 kilometers to go. They whittled that down, or Askren did all on his own pretty much, down to about 40 seconds with 10Ks to go. And at that point, the ghost was truly up for Nealens, who... Yeah, he's a pretty good climber. I think he won. He's won a, a Grand, Prix, Grand Prix de Wallonie and Tour de Hongrie Stage Five, um, like uphill. But still, De Koenig had their mind set on a keeping out of Philippe in the yellow jersey, but also going for stage win as well. And at the base of the climb, with seven k's to go, is where the climb truly started. Although they'd been going up a false flat for some time, uh, which I think really, you know, that really hurt Nealon's with the fatigue he had from being in the break all day. It was Tony Martin still there pacing for Roglic. It was kind of strange, actually. It was it was Martin pacing for Roglic with Wout van Aert behind him and then Roglic third wheel on one side of the road. Then it was then it was three Stevenins initially for De Koenig on the other side of the road, uh, pacing for Julian Alaphilippe. For some reason, and I mentioned this in the video I did for ITV, not a plug, it's just saying, you know, I mentioned it then, Jumbo Visma had their other three riders, Dumoulin, Hessink, or four riders, Dumoulin, Hessink, Bennett, and Koos, behind in like mid-pack, not up with Roglic. So it wasn't like a traditional Ineos train where they do have all, you know, all of their riders up at once. And I noticed that in, uh, I think, stage two, where they had them separated, where Dumoulin lost the wheel. I think something similar happened again today. Because the plan was for Coos and Co to actually come through later, or Coos to come through and pull, which did happen, but we'll get to that, and for, for Bennett to certainly pull as well. But it was three Stevenins pulling for Alaphilippe. Tony Martin pulled off, but the pace wasn't so hot because Martin was able to go back into the back of the group, I think I saw, and it was still a very, very large group at 7Ks to go. Bob Jungels was pacing for Julian Alaphilippe, I think from like 5.5Ks to go. I'm not sure about that strategy for Quickstep. Maybe they were just trying to keep Alaphilippe at least in good position at the front of the climb. Quickstep haven't brought with them a squad that can really hang in or domestiques that can really hang in on Category 1 climbs such as this. It's not, you know, it's not the hardest climb in the world, but even then, Bob Jungels probably could actually. That's probably a bit unfair on Bob Jungels if he was just riding in the middle of the pack. He could probably make it quite a long way, but they don't have riders like uh, Seb Kuss on that level, or even Joel Almeida would be would have been a big help, I think, for Julian Alaphilippe today. I'm not sure if you agree or not with that, Benji, but eventually Jungels pulled off, and there was kind of a stalemate on the front initially, but then Wout van Aert came through, and um, when I say stalemate, there was like a three-second pause where it wasn't clear who was going to take it up. And I think that was because George Bennett was supposed to be pulling on the front at some point for uh, Jumbo Visma. Instead, while Van Aert, the beast, decided, well, not decided, he pulled a double turn for Primoz Roglic. I think you calculated, Benji, that he pulled from 
until like 1,800 metres to go. So it was just Wout van Aert, first wheel, uh, Primoz Roglic, second wheel up this climb. Still with a very large group, by the way. I'm talking, you know, at least 30 riders in, until maybe, you know, under two kilometres to go. So Wout van Aert obviously paced it really well because he knew he couldn't leave Roglic isolated and Bennett wasn't, wasn't there to help out either and pull his turn. You know, Egan Bernal was there sitting pretty comfy. Kwiatkowski, Carapaz, Julian Alaphilippe, I think, was slotted in on uh, Primoz Roglic's wheel, marking him. Tari Pagacci was in the top five pretty much at all times. Guillaume Martin in the top ten. And then, while Van Aert was starting to pull off, and out of nowhere, Sepp Kuss comes up the side of the peloton, decides, oh, yeah, okay, I was sitting mid-pack or in the back of the pack, nowhere to be seen. He moves up. Dumoulin was kind of floating mid-pack. I'm not really sure what his deal was today. But yeah, Sepp Kuss moved up and just started ripping it on the front. I assume a lot of you will have seen stage two of the Criterium de Dauphiné. Same sort of vibes as that. Kuss on the front. He looked a little bit less imperious today, but I I think that was because he... I don't think it went exactly to plan for Jumbo Visma uh, if they had to draw it up. Like Dauphiné was just an absolute clinic stage two, but... Nonetheless, Coos went on the front and really started to thin that group out to about 15 to 18 riders and just the top GC you know, guys. Um, and then eventually Coos kind of ran out of steam with like 550, maybe 650 metres to go. I was worried that this now it was looking good for Julian Alaphilippe, right? Because the entire climb, I haven't looked at the VAM or, or had my little stopwatch out, so I can't tell you whether the climb was done at a monstrous pace. I don't think it was, just from a visual assessment of it and the size of the group for pretty much the majority of the climb. But Coos pulled off or was still pulling, but it really was kind of a soft pull because he was done. And Guillaume Martin, the cofferdist rider, attacked. And Primoz Roglic, we can put to rest all the concerns I had, we had, if you did have them, about his injuries coming out of the Criterium de Dauphiné Stage 4 crash. The man, on a mission, just locked onto Guillaume Martin's wheel. He didn't care that he had Pogaccia and Julian Alaphilippe sitting on his wheel. I mean, this was playing into Alaphilippe's hands perfectly on paper, you know, pretty easy climb and then a a hard last 1,500 metres, two kilometres, and then getting a draft off the next best punch, you know, finisher in the race. Roglic closes Martin down easily, kicks and just keeps kicking that's you'll probably see it in the highlights he just kicks with Pogaccia and Bernal I think Bernal was on his wheel just like in stage two of the Dauphiné Bernal knew he couldn't close down Roglic and he flicked through I think uh I think it was Pogaccia who tried to get onto Roglic's wheel and was definitely the next strongest on the climb and Roglic took a pretty comfortable stage win actually didn't even bother celebrating over the line and just clinical once again from the Slovenian. A Slovenian one, two, they're absolute powerhouses, Pogaccia and Primoz Roglic. Guillaume Martin hang, hung on for third. It was Naira Quintana, actually. Very nice performance coming in fourth, actually ahead of Julien Alaphilippe. And just a note on Julien Alaphilippe. Before last year, he would not have been a favourite to be winning a stage such as this, like a three-to-one favourite to be winning a, a, mountain, a mountaintop. If we're calling this a mountaintop finish, given it's a Category 1, an easy Category 1, but still a Category 1 mountaintop finish, him being a three-to-one favourite for the stage in 2018 was almost inconceivable. 
especially with the likes of someone, you know, like Primoz Roglic in the race. So I don't think Alaphilippe had a bad performance. I think it's just a return to the type of rider he is. And, you know, he didn't have much teammate support either. And Roglic wasn't there in the 2019 Tour de France. And I think he's the best complete all-round GC rider in the world. Um, what was your first impressions and reaction to this stage finish, Benji? Very much reminded me of Toulon and also the uh, Dauphiné stage that he uh, prevailed. Honestly, it's a bit of a copy of it, in my honest opinion. I enjoyed a lot in the sense that it's typically his way of winning now, having his team do a lot of work on the climb, but also making sure the tempo is just good enough that he can still launch that 1K sprint at the end. And it's just his main benefit that he can finish it off while others that are also climbing at a relative same pace that they cannot finish it anymore. He is one of the climbers that can finish a mountain stage with one hell of a punch. We saw that in the Tour de France 2018 from Grain Thomas. And this time around, we see that Roglic certainly had that. And we also already knew that he had that, but this one confirms it once again. But also I want to take a note at Guillaume Martin. He often has these quick punches at the end. He's got a bit of a acceleration in the last kilometer as well. But I often feel like he's misusing it in the sense that he's using it a bit too early always. It's like he doesn't have the confidence in his actual finish because that acceleration he did in the last kilometer could certainly have brought him potentially closer to Roglic, in my honest opinion. Obviously, Roglic was really powerful here, so it might have been really hard to beat him. But I think Guillaume Martin got closed down initially or a little bit from Sepp Kuss, but I then think Kuss flicked Roglic through because he wasn't going to close the gap. I agree with you. I don't know why Martin... I mean, it's not a bad move, I guess, if all the GC favourites, the, the heavy favourites, look at each other and he gets to maybe get a bit of a you know a three to four second gap in the last 500 metres. But yeah, he was still able to hang on for third, kicking with 500 metres to go and you know maybe even longer than that. So I would have liked to see him back himself, get a little bit aggressive and fight for Alaphilippe or Pogaccio or Roglic's wheel and just stay there. And we know what Roglic is going to do in stages like this nowadays. The biggest disappointment for me was Richard Carapaz. I'm not sure if uh, I can remember it in the preview video or, or podcast we did. I was I picked I think I think I picked Roglic for this stage. I thought he'd do well, but I also had Carapaz marked down as well because yeah, I just thought he had a really good punch at the end of climbs like this, and he he got gapped pretty badly, I think, uh, and I'm not sure if he even got the same time as the other riders. With respect to GC. This has actually moved Primoz Roglic's odds down quite a bit from 3.2 to 2.5, given that it's erased, it should erase all the concerns anyone has about his condition. He looks like he is in the same condition he was at at Dauphiné. I mean, his team support wasn't probably, oh, it's about the same. His coos was unbelievable again. But yeah, it's moved out. It hasn't really affected Egan Bernal's odds too much, and the re- that makes sense. The reason for that is, we weren't expecting him to win this stage anyway. He wasn't going to be you know, hanging his hat on winning time or gaining a lot of time on this sort of stage. And his strategy will be to try and just conserve time and then you know, on one or two stages try and attack early on a, on a really long HC climb like Col de Valors and put actual minutes into Primoz Roglic. I assume that's what his strategy will be. 
and that's why you know losing a few seconds to Roglic in this stage isn't gonna shouldn't really change anyone's opinion of him. Obviously, Richard Carapaz now he's come gone from fourth favorite to pretty much out of GC contention. Emmanuel Buchmann kind of stuffed it up as well. He seemed to have pretty decent legs, but just was out of position. Naira Quintana, I think, fourth on that stage is quite good. Julian Alaphilippe, I don't think, will be in the yellow jersey for very long during the middle of the Tour de France. I think Jumbo Visma are just way too strong for him to be able to hang on to it for, or just have a, a loan of the jersey for you know the entirety of the Tour like last year. Thibaut Pinot looked okay, but not great either. I kind of preferred Thibaut Pinot's form in the Criterium de Dauphiné. One thing we did miss, and kind of shame on me for missing out on a meme, the quintessential Pierre Rolland attack. I think it was when Dries Stevenens had pulled off, maybe, at like uh, maybe halfway or a third into this Category 1 climb, and the GC guys still had loads of... Um, teammates to help set pace for them and Roland just attacked and did it even last for 30 seconds he sort of hung up the front and then got brought back ASAP I think by Wavlana did you have a chuckle when you saw that yeah I did and I directly tweeted it attack du Pierre Roland because it's just a meme at this point and next to Pierre Roland I also noted some other riders that I was surprised to see up there and I was surprised to see drop well firstly I would note that Chavez made the front group after all his years of suffering injuries and such, he seems to be coming to a state of being near the top again. And it's awesome to see that because he was a light in races during his first Vuelta and such and has certainly inspired a lot of Colombians to dive into cycling as well. So it's cool to see him back in the front group and it's hopefully a sign that his career is coming to a better four again. When it comes to Movistar though, basically Valverde and Mas are both gone. Well, they did, they aren't gone, gone. They just lost seconds today. So they're clearly not really up there with the big guns. And I was already kind of expecting that, to be honest, after the Dauphine and such, where Maz was not really good, Valverde neither. Then we have EF. That is notable that Uran is in the front group. We see that the second best rider there is Yukati. And we always named Martinez and Higita. Martinez might still be suffering from his crash on stage two. But I expected a bit more from Higita. I feel like this stage kind of fitted him when it comes to surviving with the front group and then having a bit of a punch in the end, but he just couldn't keep up with the front group. He was fourth favorite on this stage before the stage started, so he was very highly rated for this stage. And I want to remind everybody, Valverde should have won stage 20 to Valterrand in the Tour de France last year, just a year ago, if Movistar had been able to work with any sort of cohesion, and Lander had pulled Vincenzo Nibali back. You know, Valverde would have won that bunch sprint easy. That was the sort of level he was at a year ago. This is a similar difficulty finish. This was probably an easier finish, to be honest. When we see, I haven't seen the VAM, as I've said, but probably an easier stage, an easier finish, although, you know, a longer stage. And he was not competitive. He wasn't even contesting this sprint. I think he, yeah, he did lose a little bit of time. And... I think at Valverde, either he's come out of lockdown without having trained as much as he would have, or he's a guy who gets fit through racing, or maybe father time, dare I say, it, is catching up to him. But yeah, Valverde definitely not looking as crash hot as he usually does. Um, this is the sort of finish that I would 
be expecting him to fin to contest. So the overall positions on GC right now, it's still Juliana Philippe in the yellow jersey. He's four seconds ahead of Adam Yates, another favourite for the stage who didn't end up getting too high a position. He came 10th in the stage. And Primoz Roglic is third, seven seconds behind Adam Philippe. And Egan Bernal is now six seconds behind uh, Primoz Roglic. So no definitive moves or gaps were made on GC, but all these seconds count, all these seconds add up, and you've got to bear in mind that it's Egan Bernal who's going to need those seconds or minutes ahead of Primoz Roglic before that stage 20 time trial. So 1-0 to Primoz Roglic, looking really good. The heavy favourite now for the, to win the Tour de France overall general classification. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention about this stage, Benji, before we uh, go to the preview for tomorrow's stage? I don't exactly have too much to add to that. We pretty much covered everything regarding GC favourites that resulted in bad performances or good performances. I believe that we went over everything, so let's hop into the next one towards stage five. Tomorrow we go from Gap to Privas, 183 kilometers. Not exactly the hardest regarding mountains or anything. We've got a stage that starts way higher than it ends, but it does end on a relatively false flat uphill. We've got 1.2 kilometers at 3.4% as the finish. I heard from a friend of mine who rode in Privas near that climb and actually on that hill per se that it's quite technical. I don't know what that means, but I guess we'll see it tomorrow. I am expecting riders like Vanard to go for this because Vanard has actually said that he's going to try sprint on this stage for the first time in this Tour de France. And as a Belgian, that makes me really happy. When it comes to the people that we have selected for this one, I see that. You selected Venturini, Cosnefroy, Van Aert and Notjewen for this stage. And I basically said that Van Aert might not be able to sprint for it, but if he does, then he might. <laughs> so are you still standing by that prediction? I mean, I'm not like, why am I allowed to have three different predictions? It looks like I've got three with Venturini, Cosnefroy and uh, Van Aert. I mean, if Van Aert's going for the sprint, he'd be my, my pick for the stage. It's kind of, yeah, that uphill drag. I'm not sure Sagan, Sagan head-to-head -head with Wild Van Aert in a finish like this, I'd be taking Wild Van Aert every time in the sort of condition he looks to be in compared to Sagan, who doesn't seem to have the kick to contest with uh, Wild Van Aert. But yeah, I'll be interested to watch the stage. I don't think nothing's going to happen on general classification. It might be, I don't know, whether a break goes, whether Peter Sagan wants to get in a break again because there's a intermediate sprint 47 kilometers into the stage because he's now I think level with Sam Bennett in the uh, green jersey competition maybe if Sagan gets into the break it might be a little bit more interesting if it's a pretty strong break like we saw the other day uh, but yeah not expecting anything on GC in this stage and I think we'll run up for the win if he's going for if he actually does get end up contesting the sprint I personally don't think that Sagan will go in the breakaway because the stage is too much made for him i say because in previous years he has won stages like this before and well we saw that he wasn't up to speed when it comes to the sprint yesterday on stage three but i do believe that he's going to contest it for the victory and that would probably mean that he won't try to go in the breakaway i think it's going to be a typical breakaway with three or four french riders trying to get some publicity so bnb hotels total those kind of teams i do want to credit the person that made that list of predictions for us that we did in the TDF preview. Someone sent us a file with all the predictions we did so that we can actually check it back. That is MF Steez, so thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, shout out to MF Steez. 
keeping us accountable so we don't get too busted at the cherry with predictions every day. Although I have to say, we're looking pretty good so far uh, with whatever I pick at Roglic today. We liked Alaphilippe on stage two. Stage one doesn't count because of all the crashes <laughs> and the rain, um, in my opinion. So, yeah, we're looking pretty good so far. How, how have your picks gone? I actually have a pretty similar result in Danube because we basically picked the same rider on stage two, Alaphilippe. And today I also had Roglic as one of my two picks. I said that most likely the break would win today, but that clearly didn't happen. And I had Yates in the breakaway, which also was a bit neglecting. Then again, I didn't expect him to be in the same time still because I, for some reason, thought he would lose time on the second stage, which is not exactly totally realistic, come to think of it now. But in the end, Yates did not go in the breakaway. The breakaway did not win. And my second pick that I had said, if the breakaway didn't win, that was Roglic, actually ended up taking it. So somewhat okay. I won't take credit for the stage though, because I had two riders that I also shouted out that the breakaway would win. So I feel like I'm cheating if I say that I called Roglic here. We got a little bit of criticism for talking too much about Roglic and Alaphilippe, but the reality is the way this tour is set up and the strength of their teams, particularly Jumbo Visma, we're going to see Roglic and Jumbo Visma dominating or at least, you know, being present at the front end of a lot of these stages. And that's, we saw that today. We saw that with Alaphilippe for De Koenig um, in stage two. And even not today with, you know, they have the ability to put Tim De Klerk, Remy Cavagna and Kasper Asker on the front and really control the whole race. So that's why you got to talk about these guys. I mean, it is nice to think about outsiders, etc. But yeah, this profile and, with Roglic wanting to, he doesn't really give away any freebies. Same with Alaphilippe. If a stage win is up for grabs, you know, it's a Tour de France stage win. Yeah, they, they might want to conserve a little bit of energy here and there to concentrate on GC, but a Tour de France stage win is important, even if you are going for GC. And if they got the team, which they both do, Ineos, I think, are taking a really conservative approach. But yeah, Jumbo Visma and De Koenig, they're going to hunt stage wins wherever possible. And we saw that today where they, De Koenig just did not let that break have an inch. They controlled it the entire day. But that's pretty much everything for stage four of the Tour de France. It was a pretty exciting finale, actually. And there are certain points where I was like, oh, maybe the breakaway could actually do this. But no, nah, quickly that got brought back. Good to see that everyone actually does seem to be in pretty good health, at least, you know, if Bookman was in bad health. I don't think he would have been that close up to Roglic, and obviously Roglic is in fine form. Bernal, I think, is fine too. Pino, I mean, hard to say how he's going, to be honest. But, yeah, it's good to see that all those GC favourites are pretty much back to normal. I'm excited for the stage tomorrow. I'll be doing the live stream watch-along as usual. Make sure you comment on the YouTube video or hit us up on Twitter. What's the hashtag, Benji, you just created? LRCP, Land Rouge Cycling Podcast. If you've got any questions you want us to read out in the podcast or look at, hit us up on Twitter at LR, hashtag LRCP with your question and, and add us. Or yeah, or comment on the YouTube video and we might get to a couple of questions tomorrow just to break it up. Um, but yeah, thanks for all your support. Thanks for all your reviews and ratings in the podcast players. Benji, are there any other comments you have? Not really, no. I think I've got everything said by you. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for all the support. And I guess we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.